In this series, lowimpact.org and the Open Credit Network talks with people working to build a mutually owned, democratic, decentralised economy that builds community and doesn't destroy nature. We want to increase collaboration to bring about system change. Find links to the sites mentioned in the videos in the description below. Join the conversation by liking, commenting and subscribing to our channel. So today I'm sitting here with Dill Green, Tim Jenkin and Matthew Slater, who've been working on the Credit Commons, a, a global mutual credit network with the aim of providing an alternative to the money system. I'll be asking how they got into it and why, what's happened so far and what the plans are for the future. But first I'd like to mention that Tim, who escaped from a high security prison in South Africa during the apartheid era, is the subject of an upcoming film starring Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, that's why you're in London, isn't it, Tim? That is correct. That's why I'm here. And when's it coming out? It's due out on the 6th of March 2020, this year. Um, it'll be available on my DVD and uh, Blu-ray and for download and all the normal channels as well as uh, in some, some movie houses. And what's it called? Escape from Pretoria. Escape from Pretoria. So um, I want to talk about the money system and the proposed alternative. Um, I'll interrupt with questions if um, the conversation gets a bit too technical for a general audience. I'll ask for a bit of clarification. Um, so, uh, so say hi, Tim. Good day. How are you? Say hi, Dill. Hello. Hi. Say hi, Matthew. Hi, Matthew. <laughs> so what's wrong with the current anybody feels like fielding this one. What's wrong with the current money system and why do you want to change it? Well, the current money system we all learn uh, is presented to us like a public utility, a bit like the water or electricity or, or the sewers, whatever you want to, whichever one of those you want to compare it to. Um, but when you look at it in a bit more detail, it's not really a public utility it's uh, it's something that's provided to us and we need to look at who the provider is most people think that the money system is a, a benefit given to us by our governments um, if you look at the uh, notes that we use or the coins it generally has a picture of the king or the queen or the president or whoever is head of your uh, country. So we all think it's something provided to us by the state as a public utility. But the more you look into it, you realize that, that uh, this facility is not really a government thing. It's, it comes from the central bank. If you look closer at the notes, I don't know if it's the case here in Britain, but certainly in South Africa, where I'm from, it says South African Reserve Bank. And if you look further, you will find that the Reserve Bank is a private organization. It's a private company with shareholders. And this is the entity that provides the money for the country. So money, in a sense, if you look at it a bit more carefully, is way more than just a a utility and it is more than just a, a medium of exchange and a, a store of value and a, a unit of account as we are taught when we go to college and we read the economics books it's way more than that and historically we see that 
to cut a long story short, it's a control system. It's the means by which our ruling classes keep us in place. So you can go back as many years as you like to a period thousands of years ago to the Egyptians or the Mesopotamians, although they didn't have anything that we can recognize as money, those who controlled the means of exchange or the means of distribution controlled the society. So the peasants were required to bring in their surplus to the center, to the warehouse or the temple or the palace from where records were kept. And then the ruling class took their cut and the remainder was redistributed to the people. So that is how they controlled the resources of the society. And later on, um, these centralized systems fell away because they weren't very efficient and various monetary forms were invented because it meant you didn't have to really keep any records anymore. But if you look at the coins of the archaeological record, you will see that they always had the head of the king on it. Why is that? And why is it that they maintained control over the money system and allowed no one else to, to um, create their own money in competition? So it's always been a monopoly in every country or every uh, empire or every city-state that you can imagine. It was always a, a monopoly. And this was controlled by the emperor or the king. And why? Why could the people themselves not create their own means of exchange? And it's never been allowed. So I'm going to stop there and let someone else talk. I think, Tim, you've given a purely political answer, but there's also the environmental argument and the economic argument. So uh, what's wrong with the money system economically? We can say that it's, uh, it's really stopped functioning since the crash in about 2008, and presumably in the period before that, when the bubble was blowing. Mm. And in fact, bubbles have been blown and uh, bursting quite gently for the last several hundred years. So the, the whole business cycle uh, is programmed into the money system, as well as the booms and busts. Uh, and that includes the, the recession or depression that we've been in since 2008. So economically, the, the money system isn't working either. Maybe Dill can give us the environmental argument. So, uh the structure of money we have at the moment is where it's always issued at debt and uh, therefore more has to be paid back than was issued. And that means that everyone, uh, every normal person who either works for a month for free before they get paid their salary, which is another way of you're in debt before you uh, get holds of money or you borrow money from the bank, you're in debt straight away, has to pay back more than they uh, received. And essentially, environmentally, that goes uh, to the natural world where digging things from the ground or sucking things out of the air um, has no cost to it. And so the argument goes that uh, an ever-expanding money system requires ever-expanding extraction from the biosphere that keeps us all alive. And 
uh, until sort of 50 years ago, that seemed inexhaustible and not worth paying any attention to. But we're realizing now uh, rather too late and uh, with rather too little urgency that actually we're having a significant impact on the capacity of the planet to support our civilization. And uh, that's an urgent problem. And more and more uh, environmental economists, ecological economists, are saying that we have to change the money system in order to stop um, growth. Growth at two, three percent per year. GDP growth, for sure, yeah. is uh, dangerous. I would add something else as well. I would add a social angle. Um, in order for these private central banks and uh, in fact the the private multinational banks who are actually creating most of the money these days since the liberalization of credit laws uh, around the world in the 70s and the 80s um, it's in their it's their business model to charge you money for the money that they create so if there was plenty of money if there was enough money they wouldn't be able to charge very much money for money so it's in their interest to keep money scarce and therefore expensive. And what that means is that the 99% experience constant scarcity of money. Um, it's a question I like to ask audiences. I like to ask people, can they think of any aspect of their lives whatsoever that have not been deeply affected by scarcity of money? And, you know, people... I'm very pleased to say, do raise their hands and have things that they they uh, can point to. But even things like, well, you know, loving my child hasn't been affected by scarcity of money. I love my child, whatever. But it's very easy to say, but were you able to be with them as often as you wished? Or did you have to go out and do work that you didn't particularly fancy doing in order to be confident that you could feed them and keep them warm or fed or clothed? Um, and so scarcity of money has, as well as the political structure of power, it also brings everybody up in a society where cruelty is sort of baked in. And uh, that does a lot of psychological damage to people and makes it very hard for people to trust each other and to work together because everybody's frightened all the time and that's extremely damaging so the current system causes problems for democracy problems for nature plus problems with scarcity and therefore poverty um, and i know that your preferred alternative is the credit commons so what is the credit commons and how did you get into it can i say i think that before we talk about the credit commons we should reel back into the core concept of mutual credit which is how a society any human scale society can run a system whereby it creates its own money supply that enables uh, the people within that society to regulate exchange of value and to send messages to each other about what is important and what is not important and that um, doesn't have to be. So the credit commons is an, uh, is an approach to a global economic alternative, but it's based in this idea of mutual credit, 
which is much more local, which suggests that in any sufficiently large community where there's economic activity going on, uh, you know, we're not talking about families or sort of a choir or something like that. Um, it's perfectly possible, particularly given modern technology, for people to just agree to trust each other for a certain amount of credit and to keep accounts of that credit in an agreed numeric unit. Uh, they don't need any physical tokens to pass around. And the guarantor of that money isn't any central body. It's the society managing itself, managing the rules around who can access credit and how that credit should be managed uh, democratically. And there's simply no need in a well-run instance of that agreement for there to be a central authority. In fact, central authorities tend to be a common cause of failure of such um, networks. So insofar as a community or a society is trading amongst itself, they can create their own money to do so. But if you want to trade outside the society, yeah. you need a money that is valuable outside the society. And so most of the time now, most of the societies in England, however much you try to separate them off, they're still using money from outside. And that means they have to get the money before they can spend it. Uh, it usually means they have to borrow the money uh, and it means that uh, that act of borrowing is a source of extraction of wealth through interest from that community or society. Yes, I think for us we need to be clear that our, the main concept here is about exchange. It's the highest concept. Most people think the higher concept is money itself. It's like God. It's the highest concept and there's nothing beyond it. In fact, exchange is one of the properties of life or the universe. Everything depends on everything else. And um, there's natural exchange taking place between <clears throat> animals and organisms and bacteria and everything that's living on the earth. But human exchange is slightly different because well, like anything else, we want to improve it or facilitate it. So uh, if we want to walk somewhere, we can walk like animals, but for us, that's not good enough. We first used a mule to carry us and then we developed some other means of uh, transport like cars and trains and airplanes. And it's exa exactly the same with exchange. Um, traditional natural forms of exchange are very slow and and you have no control over it. So we historically have developed methods of exchange and money is simply one of them. It's not like the concept, the only way we can exchange. Everything in life has to be monetized. There are many, 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 if you look through history, there are many ways that people have found to exchange things and uh, mutual credit is another one. It works quite similarly to money, but it doesn't require any tokens. And in fact, the money system today is, although the, we imagine there are tokens there, it's really pretty much the same thing. It's just an accounting system where someone receives something and where someone gives something. And uh, one account goes up and the other one goes down. 
And so you ask, why is there any need for tokens? Because they're completely redundant. But no bank is going to tell you that because then they'll be out of business. Um, they need to lend us these tokens at, uh, at interest and that's how they exist. So they've hijacked a natural exchange system that we ourselves can control. They've taken it away from us and charged us to use it and enslaved humanity at the same time so that we're all spending our entire lives chasing after this thing. And it shapes our society. So we're on this juggernaut that's heading to the cliff and we can't really do anything about it. A lot of people take a political approach and say, hey, we need to change the money system. We need to replace capitalism with socialism or communism or some other ism. Yet the money system, as we understand it, remains in place. So nothing ever changes because someone is still controlling the system. It's a monopoly system, exchange system. We need to get rid of that. Not even get rid of it. We just need to develop an alternative. And that's really what the credit commons is about. It's providing an alternative that bypasses all this monetary nonsense. And we can simply exchange things without the tokens. We just keep records and we can use other methods as well. We don't want to replace one monopoly system with another. And it's a very simple system to use. And uh, our object is to get people to use it and to <laughs> realize that <laughs> there is an alternative to money it's not just barter people think if you don't have money well what are you going to do you're going to die or you're going to have to barter things there's a multitude of ways that you can facilitate exchange and there are successful examples of, of mutual credit out there and it's, it's not just pie in the sky there's a whole range of viable alternatives out there from community groups and we i think we worked out the other day that um using sort of software that's quite often very simple there's upwards of a thousand groups uh, around the world of between 25 and a few hundred people um, doing uh, mutual exchange at a community level and then there's also hundreds of business schemes which are doing mutual exchange uh, at a fairly sort of capitalistic basis you know but they are still finding that the creation of credit between members of communities of trust is advantageous to their efforts so yeah there's a, a, a wide range of possibilities they're not all economic as well a lot of the communities that tim and i support with our software are more interested in building the community and building relationships and building trust through exchange than they are in becoming wealthy in any uh, monetary or material sense. But that doesn't mean the mechanism can't be used for that. So tell me about the Credit Commons then and how it came about. Well, the trouble with money is that it doesn't actually care if exchange takes place. Um, it can help uh, individual people with exchange because they will go out and earn the money and then they'll spend it and that's an exchange. But if you look at the whole society, the exchange isn't taking place, maybe because people will save the money and so they'll freeze an exchange halfway through, um, or maybe because they'll spend the money outside that society. And so the exchange isn't happening within the society. 
and uh, normal money doesn't care about that at all. But in mutual credit, it matters very much that you completely exchange and it allows everyone to completely exchange because the one who issues the money in the first place and spends it is also the one who earns it back and evaporates it. Um, so you issue credit and, uh, and then it circulates around and when it comes back to you, it just disappears. And in that time, it was money. Um, but it ensures that the exchange is complete by coming back to the issuer within the community. And so mutual credit is accounting for that. It's how far away is each person from actually completing the exchange and getting their balance back to zero. So it's just a means of exchange, not a thing that you can hold in your hand and accumulate. Well, I call it accounting for exchange. Um, everybody uh, is either up or down in the exchange at any one time. And the amount by which everyone is up is equal to the amount by which everyone is down. And that means all the balances in the accounting system add up to zero, meaning that if you just clear them all out, then the exchange will be complete. Mm -hmm. A really easy way to think about that is actually people operate this system uh, all over, certainly the Anglo-Saxon world, uh, buying rounds in the pub. Uh, among a group of friends, everyone roughly knows who's, you know, a little bit down and whose turn it is to pay for everyone else's drinks. Um, because the accounting system there is usually pints, everyone, you know, it's quite easy to measure up and down. Um, but because it's a very loose accounting system and it's just in people's memories, no one would trust it for uh, significant levels of exchange over several years for you know, larger uh, amounts. But just by beginning to keep record of how many pints X is up and how many pints X is down, uh, no one's piling up piles of pints in their back garden saying, aha, I'm rich. Um, but the society can actually look and say, oh, look, so-and-so is so many pints down. You know, it'd be good if we asked them to buy a couple of rounds the next time we're in the pub. And that gives everybody trust. So if someone disappears for a year, you know you're not going to forget how many pints they owe you when they come back because it's written down. So that's this sort of accounting for exchange. And it's really just enabling a wider spread of trust over a longer period of time uh, in a larger group of people. But what you asked was why the Credit Commons came into existence. Yeah, the Credit Commons... Uh as distinct from the concept of mutual credit? So for me, it's all about the fact that mutual credit works on the basis of mostly trust between people. And so if a mutual credit uh, network gets too large, then trust begins to be harder to develop. If there are 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 people in the network, then actually you don't know very many of them at all. So your level of trust in the future viability of this accounting system, you know, is that person actually going to be asked to buy their number of pints? Well, they might be cheats and you've no way of knowing because there's 10,000 people in the scheme. So there's a natural scale for mutual credit systems. And the problem with that in a complex economy is that most small groups of businesses or small groups of people produce a tiny subset of the goods and services that we've all come to depend on. 
And so there's always been a question of how you can have a completely local economy and still be able to buy light bulbs and clean water that's done in a, you know, a water processing plant 50 miles away. And the Credit Commons is this wonderful invention by these two um, that makes it possible for money creation to stay local and on the basis of trust, but that exchange can happen across networks. So Tim, how did, how did it start? Well, for us, it started really as a, as a single let's group way back in 2002. Let's group, you've got a, uh, a let's is really what we've been describing, but traditionally let's was a community where people agreed to really uh, advertise what they can do and what they have to provide others. And they would uh, create, say, a paper directory and distribute this between the participating members. And then uh, they would, instead of having a circulating currency, they would base their, they would give the currency a name and it usually was based on the local national currency like the pound or the dollar or whatever. And they would simply write out checks to each other. So in other words, they were, they were buying and selling with each other um, in the national currency, but um, you did, there was no need for the actual money. So they would just say, uh, I'm selling you that computer and if it was money, I'd, I'd charge you a hundred pounds for it. And they would write a check for that amount and give it to an administrator who would then enter it into a spreadsheet and keep a ledger of debits and credits. So it would provide it would be credited, get some points for it, and the, the buyer would be debited, would be um, get some negative points for it, and the two would balance out to zero. And this was um, back, in, back in the days before computers. Back in the day before computers, it, it developed in the 1980s and before the internet era. And then I think we, the community exchange system, was the first to develop a kind of internet version of this where um, the poor administrator didn't have to do all the work. So the, the members themselves could um, advertise on the website uh, what they could provide and others could advertise what they required and they could enter their own transactions. So it wasn't all on the back of the administrator. So this made it much more viable because uh, with a paper system, you're stuck with once you reach 200, 300 members, it just becomes too much of a burden for one administrator to, to be entering all these trades manually and it often resulted in burnout and the collapse of these groups. So here, once the internet was there and we could program all this and have databases, then all those manual tasks fell away and people could manage their own accounts and it was a kind of self-running system and everyone could look at the balances of everyone else and it was a fantastic way to do let's and the group started to grow and expand and get beyond the limits of anything seen before um but then the next stage was how do these separate groups trade with each other are they just going to remain little separate communities forever and not be able to to participate in a bigger, grander scheme. 
So we developed a, a kind of protocol where um, groups could begin to trade with each other. So someone in another part of the country could trade. Uh, it's a bit of a difficult mechanism to explain how it happens, but it's allowed groups now to sort of operate to the second level, keeping balances between themselves. And then later this expanded to a global network. And then even beyond that, uh, where the Credit Commons come in, comes in, is that separate networks doing similar things could now begin to collaborate and cooperate and trade with each other. So you now have virtually, of course, not on the same scale, but something like the SWIFT system where banks all over the world can trade and so on. So we've kind of created a mini version of that. And so we can link together all these minute little communities and create this huge entity that is as potentially as effective as the global monetary system. Obviously, we don't have the scale and we don't have the resources and so on, but the mechanism is there. What's, um, what's been built so far? Where have, you, where have you got to? We've got a, a prototype of the Credit Commons software. Uh, the Credit Commons itself is a protocol, which means it's a, a sort of language for different softwares to talk to each other. In fact, for different ledgers to talk to each other. So I built a prototype that implements the protocol. And so now we've proved that it's possible to send a transaction across several ledgers. So the, the Credit Commons, uh, when it grows, it becomes a sort of tree structure. And if you want to send a transaction far away, it'll go from the twigs to the branches, to the trunk and back down another branch. Um, and each one of those is a ledger. So a one transaction might appear on many, many ledgers in the Credit Commons, and we've got that working, but we haven't installed it on our own systems yet. So it works, so you need member networks to join. We've got our own member networks, but migrating is quite a big job. So I'm just trying to get a picture of where you are now and what, what the plans are for the future. It's worth saying, I think, for people listening to this, and I'm sure you'll put a link, that uh, the Credit Commons white paper um, is quite a short read uh, and it's quite uh, careful and definitive and it sets out in more technical detail than we can talking here how all that stuff works. So that's really worth um, people going and having a look at. Um, and I'm sure there'll also be a link to the software um, repository and if people, more technical people are welcome to go and have a look at that. Um, but I think where we're at at the moment really is looking for, still looking for and talking amongst ourselves as to the best niche in which uh, people will find it valuable to collaborate um, uh, across groups. Um, the community style groups 
tend to be, as Matthew said, they're as much about strengthening the bonds of local community as they are about deep uh, uh, value production. They're quite often people doing things in their spare time, people swapping spare uh, fruit produce, um, people uh, sharing their tools and uh, local capacities. And those things, by definition, are very often satisfiable within your local community and don't travel well across boundaries. So um, the business-to-business -business networks are probably going to be uh, the more significant early adopters of such longer distance trade. So for instance, there's a very successful network in Sardinia, Sardex, it's got over 4,000 members, I believe, in Sardinia. And uh, Dave, you and I are members of a UK uh, initiative called the Open Credit Network, which is also a uh, non-profit taking, uh, as Sardex is, um, but business to business network. Yep, and there'll be links to all this in the, um, in the description below. It's very easy to imagine that some, uh, let's say, food wholesaler in uh, Britain might want to access uh, good quality olive oil from Sardinia because we don't grow olives in Britain. And that um, people in uh, Sardinia might well want to have some... I don't know, UK um, uh, craft ale, let's say. If there's an Irish pub in uh, Sardinia, there's Irish pubs all over the world, they need uh, British-style beers to sell. So there's you know, potential business-to-business uh, -business, uh, trade across. The conversation keeps coming back to beer for some reason. But, uh, <laughs> so what happens next? Ideally, what happens next? We're going to raise a lot of money. We're going to hire some software developers. Uh, we're going to make a massive advertising campaign. <laughs> we're going to bring all the existing local communities and local business networks into the system because we're going to publish the protocol and they'll just add it to their software and they'll find that they're able to pay each other uh, amongst themselves for free or for a tiny fee to pay anybody else in the UK or for a slightly larger fee to pay anybody else uh, in Europe. And we'll start to see an economy outside of the economy, a real alternative Parallel. where you can draw a line between one economy and the other because they're using very different money. Jim, would you like to add anything to that? Well, uh, yeah, I just support what Matthew is saying. Uh, um, we're trying. We're not fighting the other economy, or the other monetary system, or exchange system. We're trying to just quietly create an alternative. Um, and um, I think what is attractive about what we're doing is that, you know, it's not uh, it's not based on on coercion like the conventional money system is. You know, it's it's what uh, backs our governments. We don't. Uh, we don't tax people, so people begin to feel that this is their monetary system or their exchange system. It's not someone else's, and 
and it's um, a way of building our communities and it brings back that monetary power that we all recognize is sort of the primary power that controls us that is controlling the whole trajectory of where our society is going it's also a form of action and of activism. It, it is. doesn't involve petitioning and campaigning that is correct. and begging and mm. hoping. It involves changing your economic behavior, mm. what you produce, because mm. you have to produce something if you're going to consume something. And mm. you have to produce it for the people you're consuming from. And so it helps to focus the mind as well. Mm. A, a really key uh, aspect of mutual credit is that it tends to produce uh, a sufficient money supply, uh, not too much money, but also not not enough. And when there's a sufficient money supply and people get used to feeling that money isn't something that is perpetually scarce, mm. um, then uh, they don't indulge so much in sort of hoarding and they don't feel as frightened all the time so they don't need to sort of go out and do sort of uh, what's it called therapeutic shopping or whatever um retail, you know uh, and and that's not just a pious hope that is the experience in the many hundreds of communities that let schemes support people are more interested in community and sufficiency and less interested in um being avid consumers and so this is sort of, I'd hesitate to say it's a sort of solidly proven point, but it's a, a very um, easily observable phenomenon in those networks. And so it's a real move against the consumerism, which is at the root of uh, climate uh, disaster. Also, it feels different to use. Lots of experiments have been done with money and psychology, and that green stuff. Um, does something bad to our psychologies. Mm. But mutual credit is a different kind of money and it makes people mm. feel good to use it very yes, often. Yes. Just to clarify, it's not possible to hoard the means of exchange in a mutual credit system. Well, like we talked about earlier, the entire system always has to add up to zero because every credit has an equal and opposite debit. Um, so the object of users of mutual credit is not to accumulate them because that doesn't make sense because it's really just a record of what you've done and received. So your object over the long term is really to keep your personal balance around zero as well. Sometimes you're above, sometimes you're down below. So we operate within a, a band. So there's a ceiling and there's a floor. There's a limit to how far you can go. Yeah, in the money system, there's there's no roof, there's no ceiling. It's like you're encouraged to the sky is the limit, mm -hmm. and the guy who's get uh, the richest, you know, there's always competing. Who's the richest man in the world? He's got seventy five trillion dollars. Uh, we don't do that sort of thing. So it's um, it, there's a limit. So uh, when you reach the upper limit, the ceiling it's like you're just accumulating numbers or just and what does it mean it means that you're not giving others the opportunity of providing stuff so that they can earn credits and the same when you reach the floor it means that you're just taking and not giving so the object is always to keep that balance between giving and receiving 
but more than that, Tim, there's uh, no interest in the system. There's no interest. So there isn't that incentive yes. to save because you can't make money from money. Exactly. exactly. You can't make money from speculation mm. either because mm. the exchange rates are stable. Because yeah. every member of a network essentially creates their own money when they spend on the basis of their own uh, membership of the network and uh, trust of other members that they're good for that credit. Um, there's no point hoarding the money thinking as you do in a scarce system. If you manage to accumulate a trillion dollars, you know you can boss around a lot of people who haven't got enough money because it's an inherently scarce um, money system. But if you try and do that in a let scheme, people just say, okay, well, I'll do a bit more work and I'll produce some more money. You know, what have you got that I haven't got? Everyone can spend. So there's simply no. Um, inbuilt incentive to create large piles of cash and in fact people quite quickly realize as Tim says that the sort of the safest place to be in a mutual credit system is at or around zero um, because that means that uh, if anything happens to the economy you haven't got uh, a large pile of useless units you've actually um, you could walk away because you're around zero. Nobody owes you anything. You don't owe anybody anything. You can start something new and uh, you're good to go. So, so it's only possible to earn credit by doing something useful? Well, that's the idea, is that you can't accumulate uh, points or systems or money or whatever by doing nothing as the current system works through interest or speculation or dividend. Um, I mean, uh, yeah all kinds of incredible schemes that have been developed to, to um, divert the money to in, into accounts without, so there's a whole class of people who don't, don't really produce anything valuable for the rest of society. And they manipulate and control the rest of us who do the production of things. So this is, if you don't do anything, you don't get any points. And if you, if you take from the community, you'll eventually reach a point where no one trusts you because you're just a taker, a free rider. And the idea of keeping these groups as small as possible is that people get to know each other. So you know who the bad guys are and it's friendly. And we've experienced this. It's not just a pie in the sky, some sort of theoretical thing. We've seen it for years and years. And you know, we have regular markets and so on. And these are very friendly enterprises. <laughs> it creates a completely different spirit because we're not all just chasing after this medium that is so scarce and competing with each other and fighting over a small amount of it. There's no limit. We just don't need to steal. We don't need to fight. There's no way of stealing it because it doesn't exist. Plus, I guess if the wider economy crashes, it would be very beneficial to be involved in a in a mutual credit scheme. For sure, because of that basic engine of money production is that your community trusts that you will do productive work in the future. And the classic thing that has everybody scratching their head in 2009 is, well, this car factory is still here, still with plenty of people who want to work and make cars. It's got lots of steel. It's got lots of car tires, um, but suddenly it's stopped producing cars. 
what's the what's the reason for that? People still want cars. You know, cars are maybe not the uh, favorite <laughs> example. I should have said beer, of course. Of course. Um, but uh, and the re the reason is that suddenly all the credit has dried up because the banks don't trust each other. So all the people in the world who need stuff, who want to work, who have the places to work around the corner from them, are suddenly told you're not needed anymore, your productivity is not needed anymore. But at the same time, they can't get hold of the stuff. So the whole economy grinds to a halt because the banks don't trust each other. But in mutual credit networks, people would say, well, you're still you, you can still fit my window tomorrow, you can still make my beer, Nothing's um, I still want beer, uh, let's carry on. Mm -hmm. It all sounds great. So what are the main barriers to the growth of this new kind of economy? Well, there's the ideological thing, of course, which is that we've all grown up with this idea of money and it's deeply implanted in our psyches and this idea that if you don't have money, then you're finished, you know, you're basically dead. If you don't have money or a source of money, then you are so-called unemployed and you can't do anything, you can't access the resources of the society, mainly food and accommodation and all the basics. So this seems to be, a, I mean, it's a way around that idea, although it's still very small and um, most of the major things are, are not available. We're not selling houses and cars yet and you can't get petrol and you can't buy air tickets, but, everything has to grow everything is born and then it grows and that's what we're hoping is that more and more and more people will understand that it's about exchange and that you don't need money to exchange and simply by implementing these things and getting more and more people to use them and to experience the friendliness and the fact that this builds community as opposed to money which tends to destroy community um, it's a better place and ultimately we're hoping that one day <laughs> all these things will be available. It's not going to be an easy ride. You know one day the powers that be will notice that we're undermining their profitability and their ability to, to lend money because here's a, a challenge and uh, they've always had this monopoly backed by government legal tender laws and suddenly along comes this thing which does what they do but without all this nonsense and we don't know what will happen uh, presumably they'll get their mates in the government to legislate against us but in a sense it's almost something that you can't stop because how do you stop people exchanging something that's outside of the system it is not mm, not dependent on any of their mechanisms and people have been doing it for thousands and thousands of years and they have tried to monetize everything that we always done naturally and try to squeeze out the natural exchange and to monetize everything because they're always seeking for new places to invest money and um, we need to push back against that and create some kind of situation that's not hijackable and that is not, uh, they can't really terminate it because you can't stop people exchanging things with each other. And mutual credit itself is also just one way of doing it. There are many other ways of facilitating exchange. 
really need to introduce this idea that mm, there's not only one way of doing it. It's not the monetary way. There's many different ways. Mutual credit sort of does what money does, but it doesn't control us. So it's our money. It's not their money. It's the social network effect. Everybody's on Facebook. Lots of people are trying to build a better social network, but you can't get people to move out of Facebook because all their connections are in Facebook. Mm. And we know from many years of playing with monetary systems that the same thing is going on. It's much more quick and easy and convenient to use your national currency, which is in your wallet, in your cards, in the bank, everybody accepts it than it is to, to switch over to another marketplace to see if you can meet your needs in that small marketplace first. So the biggest barrier is inertia. There's a, I think there's a lot of mental barriers and changing of habits. But the, the best things that have happened in a lot of those lets and time banking systems are when people make it the aim of their life to live within that system. And one person in a in a little group like a let's can really animate it if they're really determined. And so that's what I'm trying to do with my life now to live as much as possible of the really local economy by giving and taking from people around me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, barriers to entry. I think that, uh, what, uh, Tim referred to the sort of psychological, idea i think for many people the laws of money feel more real than the laws of physics to them you know it's you know well gravity could change a bit and that might be fine but uh if the money system stopped working what would we do um the fact is that the money system has been changed under our feet every 30 or 40 years since it was invented. I mean, the rules of money now would be unrecognizable to an 18th you know, century businessman. They would be shocked and horrified by all sorts of things that are common practice now. Um, so for me, the way to conquer that um, is um, actually sort of relating to what Matthew said about social networks is to sort of step away from this idea of, oh, aren't we clever? We've invented a better sort of money. Come and talk to us about money and how your relationship with money could be better. And actually do what Facebook are proposing to do, which is to have a social network where trade is a first class tool of that social network. Um, but to have that uh, trade more beneficial than scarce currency, currency controlled by somebody else. And that idea of networks of groups, a social network of groups that federate together in the same way as an economy of groups that federate together is something that I'm actively pursuing. Uh, and I'm pretty hopeful that that will be a way to get people using this form of exchange without really noticing because if it works for them and they're swapping numbers backwards and forwards on a screen they're absolutely used to swapping numbers backwards and forwards on a screen that's what paypal does uh 
if they can swap numbers backwards and forwards on a scheme within a social network where they can find people to swap things with. And there always seems to be enough of that stuff. And you can get free credit to some limit based on how much you've traded before. Then I think people will just vote with their feet and say, well, this works. I'm here. I'll do it. Um, there is, for me, a great urgency to uh, having a viable system that does that because Facebook are certainly trying with Libra and it's pretty obvious that another big social network that's growing incredibly fast called Telegram has got the same plans. Uh, and so I think, and there's also the example of Tencent in China, which is already a you know one point something billion user uh, social network, which is a payment network as well. And uh, so these things are have huge sort of juggernaut like power once they get large. And if it's Facebook or Telegram that offer this system, then it will be much harder for uh, uh, a small competitor to even if it's offering a better service to come into the network. And that will be the same old problem, concentrated wealth and power in Facebook rather than the banks? Exactly. It'll be much more frightening because Facebook have got um, much murkier um, regulation, uh, much weaker regulation. You know, banks have been heavily regulated because it's so political, because it's to do with power. Um, Facebook may well not get to market because they've reckoned without how um, resistant to change the existing power structures will be um, but telegram are coming up on the rails I think and nobody really sees them coming and they're sort of blockchainy so they sort of can step outside regulation um, and it'll be interesting to see what they come up with but they're pretty smart and they're very well funded so, so if people are up for helping to build this alternative, how, how can they get involved? What should they do? If they're in the UK uh, and they've got any sort of business activity, they can join the Open Credit Network and that will be rolling out local clubs as sort of subsets of the UK-wide network in the next year. Uh, if people watching this have got technical capacities or um, social media capacity, uh, whatever, uh, then they can uh, get in touch with the Credit Commons uh, uh, project and uh, join a more global sort of longer term project that's less directly about participating. Uh, if they're in neither of those situations, then they can uh, get hold of one of various sets of uh, software that are available for free on the internet and set up their own local trading group. And again, you should have a load of links at the bottom of this that help with that. You don't even need to set up your own trading group. We're much less concerned at this stage about people creating accounting systems then we are about changing the culture so that uh, everyone who wants to participate should be thinking about the way 
they consume and produce and who they do it for. And it needs to be done on a much more local basis. And so the Credit Commons and all the local currencies are there to support those real activities about producing and consuming on a local basis. The, the money system, the accounting doesn't come first, is there to make it work better, but only if it's working first. Yeah, it's important to understand that um, these communities or groups are real people in real communities. They're not just uh, uh, sort of imaginary Facebook groups or WhatsApp groups that just exist and can disappear. So uh, anyone can start up a community by signing up. You could sign up to Community Forge and you'll get a new um, instance of the software and then you're started and you can use the software for your community. And it's the same with the community exchange system. You simply fill in a form and within a very short time, you've, you've got a new one. It's, it's a community and it's listed. But those are nothing. They just, the, the software is just the tool just a tool and it's not the community and uh, a community won't form itself out of creating an instance on a, on a database. Um, it has to start with the real community of, of you usually need a, a group of keen people who want to drive this thing through and, uh, and they need to hold community meetings or advertise in the community that you want to start a group like this or maybe there's an existing some kind of barter network in a community you find these very often in sort of farming communities and so on and they can avail themselves of the tools that we're providing but we want to go much further than just providing a set of tools we want to provide mechanisms to link all these communities into bigger bodies and to draw in other entities there's hundreds of time banks all around the world um they're not sort of mutual credit in the sense that we've been talking about but it's more or less the same thing it's really just recording hours that people given give and receive so the accounting systems are the same and um these need to be brought into the network so really it's whatever is alternative to the conventional monetary system we need to bring these in and network them and federate them and get everyone excited about them to understand all the alternatives and not to be competing amongst ourselves so these are all different methods that are in the box and we can use them all and um, that's really the only way to grow it to concentrate on growing in your community using these tools and that's it Okay, so thank you all very, very much. And Tim, can't wait to see the film. And we're going to be following what you're all up to very closely in the future. Thank you all very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.